Lord has for the service. Amen. First Peter chapter 3 verse 21 tells us the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. Everybody say a good conscience toward God, but by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Apostle Peter in his epistle tells us that baptism, baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that baptism serves as the answer of a good conscience. The answer of a good conscience. I want to preach for you this morning what I believe the Lord laid on my heart last evening. A good conscience. And I want us as a church together to not just go into this message like we do in every other message. But let's, let's pay attention to what the Holy Ghost is trying to do. Let's allow the Lord to have His way. Amen. There are many here, amen, and, and some among us that need God's help this morning. And I pray that the Lord would help us today. Amen. It's not enough for me to just get up here and preach a good thought. It's not enough for me to just get up here and uh, convince you or sway you with my intellect or, or anything like that. But what we need is the help of God's presence. We need God's anointing to wash into this place and to help us. So let's lift our voices to the Lord and let's ask Him to do that. Jesus, we believe you today. Pray, God, that you would meet with us in the sanctuary. Lord, we honor you. God, we want to be careful, Lord, to allow you, Jesus, to have your perfect way in this place today. Pray, God, that your anointing would destroy every yoke. Hallelujah, Jesus. Meet with us. Speak to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord and just love Him. God, we love You. We worship You. Jesus, You're wonderful. You're holy. There's nobody like You, Jesus. We worship You, Master. We magnify You, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank You. You could be seated this morning. Amen. <clears throat> This is a lesson or a message that have, has been ruminating, kind of rolling around in my mind for a few weeks here, and um, I've been kind of working on it here and there, and it all came together late last evening, and um, I believe the Lord has a message for somebody in this place this morning, and I pray that, that we could have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say, and uh, that that is a... that's. That's required. If the Spirit of the Lord is going to speak to you, you have to pay attention. You have to have an ear to hear it. You have to have a mind to understand it. The, an the, the answer to an age-old question, whether or not mankind, humanity, is good by nature, naturally good or naturally evil, is summed up pretty clearly in a response that Jesus made to a young man who, who asked him, uh, who called him good master. And Jesus responded to him in Mark chapter 10 verse 18, and he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Why do you call me good master? Why are you putting that label on me? There is none good but one. And that is God. My friend, I, 
I'm here to tell you this morning that if you want goodness, if you want righteousness, if you want holiness, if you want to please God, what you need is God's own spirit in your life. From the very beginning, God, when he created earth, heaven and earth, and all that dwells within it, whether that's animals, whether that's humanity, uh, every tree, every fowl of the air, every form of creature, every part of creation the bible calls it good because it came at the hand of god because every good thing cometh from the father above and when god does it he does it not okay he doesn't do it just well brother jaheem but he does it good he does it right he does it perfect hallelujah amen we can read in genesis chapter 1 verse 4 i'll skip through a few of these um, but i want you to hear how the Lord saw his creation at the end of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, God saw the light, that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and gathering together the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herbs, herb yielding seed after its kind, his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. God, and God set them the two great lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth. Which, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 25, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw even those creeping, crawling, evil-looking, nasty crickets, everything. He called it good. In verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Amen. I know, I, I know perhaps where you may be this morning because I've spent a lifetime seeking out, trying to do my best to be good. But I want you to understand that scripture teaches us that our righteousness, the things that we do, are not good enough. But if we could somehow get back to that place where we allow God's creative power, God's anointing, God's presence in our life, He can make us good again. He's done it once before. And it was His creation that was good in the first place. But because, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, but because of a poor decision of a, of a lady in the garden that, that we fell from that state of goodness. But in the first place, Brother Hall, we were good. We were good. Everything was good. I, sometimes I wonder if that was the reason that God caused um, that God caused the process of the sacrifices, the offerings of animals, those things that were in its original state good. Let me use the term innocent, that had not been perverted by any kind of judgment but, or, or any kind of poor decisions, but that those animals, the, the shedding of those innocent animals 
or used as a process to, to forgive or to roll ahead the sin of God's own people. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 5 and 6, um, God, in verse 5, let me just start there. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened. This is the, the serpent tempting Eve and in the garden. And he tells her that, that, that God knows that in the day that you disobey him, in the day that you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then your eyes will be opened and ye shall be as gods, he says, knowing good and evil. Eve had been acquainted with good already. Eve up until this point had been walking around in a garden full of God's goodness, knowing, knowing a lot of good things. The trees were good. The animals were good. They spent time knowing good. But this was the first time that humanity was introduced to the concept of evil. Because the Bible tells us, I'm not sure if it's in this passage or not. Yeah, it is. Verse 6, let's read on. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired. So she saw the goodness in it. She saw the, that it was good for food. She recognized that. But then she, she started seeing, hey. This is not just an ordinary tree. There might be a reason why God told us not to eat of this. That it, that it, that it was pleasant to the eyes. A, a tree to be desired to make one wise. And, and there's a part of scripture that tells us uh, that, it, that, it is, that all sin can be categorized under one of three categories. The lust of the eyes, the lust of, uh, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we see in this particular scripture each of those areas where where. Eve fell, uh, fell to, to the lust of the eyes, in, that it was pleasant to the eyes. A tree desire to make one wise, that is, the, that is the pride of life. And she took fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. She wasn't satisfied with just the goodness that was on that tree. She had to go beyond what was good, and she desired more than what God had given to her. Amen. Let me just stop here just for a moment to let somebody know that, that everything that God has given you is enough. You don't need to go looking for something more. There is more out there. There's more on offer. You can go to the marketplaces. You can go into, uh, the, the, you, you can find somebody who's got something that feels a lot better. You, got, you can find somebody who could preach you a message that's a lot prettier. You can go somewhere and hear music where it's a lot more uh, exuberant and a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more uh, beautiful and so on and so on. And that's not to disgrace any of what has gone on this morning. But, but so there are other options out there. But let me, let me help you understand that, that you should just stop for a moment and observe the good fruit. Don't reach beyond what God has given to you. God's given you something that is sufficient. God's given you what is good. Amen. I know that I'm speaking in parables right now, so let me try to bring it home or a little bit closer to home. The thing that attracted Eve that in this passage was that she would become more than just good. 
Something else. What, what else is there besides good? If it's good, it's good. You can't get any... You can't get any better than good. Yeah, you could say, well, you could become great or you could be uh, amazing and all this. But, but if it's God's good, you can't get any better than God's goodness. But the enemy told her, you're going to be like God's, knowing both good and evil. Now, Eve, wouldn't you like that? Have the free will, the choice to... To make up your mind, you're going to be, you're going to have the, the intellect, the capacity to, to know what's right and know what's wrong. And uh, as I understand it, based on the scripture that we have read, she was already well acquainted with the goodness. But when she took a bite of that fruit in disobedience to God's word, she was acquainted with evil. It was a desire. There was something in Eve that caused her to want to become something different than what God had made. To become something other than good. Something other than that simplicity of God's goodness. There was a desire there. I want you to, everybody say desire. There was a desire to become something other than just good. And so we know the story. And uh, the act of Eve and Adam in the garden began that spiral that we are all familiar with. And of degradation, of, of, of consistent, uh, this, this, uh, this continual falling, this continual falling away of humanity. To the point where in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It, it never, the, these men had become so evil that they never thought of good. Humanity had fallen to such a state and, and some, some say that there were billions on earth at this point. That equivalent to the amount of people that, that were, that's on earth even today. Because many of them lived longer at that time. So it didn't take as long for them to populate the earth as, as we have today. And so, uh, you know, Mo, uh, Noah, as an example, lived over 600 years old. And, and many of them lived that long. So when you have everybody living that long, there's a lot of people there. But all of them, every single one of them, uh, with one exception, with ex- the exception of one family, everybody's thoughts, everybody's the thoughts of their hearts was evil continually. And I want you to see what happened. Because of, because of this state that humanity had found itself in, the Bible says in verse 6 that it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. This isn't that God had made any mistake. But there would need to be a change of epic proportions in order to, to, to reconcile all of the evil that had, that had dominated hum, humankind, humanity. There, 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 was, there was such evil continually in the world. There, there was such a, a promiscuity. There was such sin prevalent among mankind. That God said, I can't, just, I can't just institute a system. I can't just create a little religion. I can't just, uh, uh, what I've got to do 
is bring a catastrophic change to this world. And then we know the story, Noah's flood. How many know the story of Noah's flood? It wiped all living humans off of the earth. It destroyed all of society, every organization, every bit of structure that humanity had. You know why? Because it was based on evil, based on wickedness. And so God said, I can't deal with this. I've got to fix this. And so the Lord repented. The Lord said, not because I've made any mistake, but because humanity has gotten so far, I have got to change this plan. I've got to make a different plan. I've got to make a difference here in this life. When society, when organization, when systems, when governments, etc., are constructed around wickedness, then the only solution is structural organizational, systemic, governmental changes. If it's all based on this foundation of evil, we've got to uproot it from the foundation. At this point, we know the story of Noah and the flood, the righteous man who found grace in God's eyes. The moment that Noah stepped off of the ark after, after all of those living souls had passed away the bible tells us in genesis chapter 8 verse 18 noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons wives with him every beast every creeping thing every fowl and every and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth though all those good things that the lord had created after their kinds went forth out of the ark and noah builded an ark uh, sorry and noah builded an altar unto the lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything, everything living as I have done. I'm not going to go to the extent that I have. This is... This is how you understand that, the, that even God measured the change that took place as being dramatic, as being epic, as being a large and substantial change. But the reason that God felt it necessary to take such dramatic measures to correct humanity was for one reason. And that was to bring us back to a good conscience. The conscience of man, the, the, the mind and the thoughts of man was continually wicked. They didn't have a good conscience. They had completely lost all conscientiousness of, of goodness. They, 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 they distanced themselves from all that was good beginning in the, the garden. And after the devastation was brought about, it produced that desired outcome from God. There came up before God when Noah stepped off of the, altar, uh, off of the ark and, and walked up to his altar that he had made and started offering those clean, those good, those innocent sacrifices to God. The Bible says that it came up to him as a sweet-smelling savor. I wonder how long it had been since the Lord had, had smelled that, that aroma. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 in our text the apostle 
likens baptism to the story I just told you. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Story of Noah was the story that Peter was referencing in the passage that we use for our text. Let's read it, backing up just a couple of verses to verse, let's back up to verse 20. Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. While Noah was building the ark, God was ready to, God's, God's wrath, he, had, he was ready to bring judgment. He was ready to bring that destruction that was necessary to produce uh, that goodness that once lived on earth. That goodness that once was the only thing on earth. And, and because of the disobedience and the fall of mankind, uh, evil had overrun all goodness. And, and so God was waiting almost, I can just imagine with like bated breath, he's, he's waiting, Noah, come on. It, I want you to finish this ark. I want you to finish this project so we can start the rain, so we can start the cleansing. I'm ready to, I'm ready to fix this situation. With long suffering, God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few day, few, that is eight, souls were saved by water. Can you see how far God went to save eight people? He destroyed all of, and I, please, I'm not trying to underscore the morbidity of this story. I want you to understand the, the amount of wickedness and evil that was in earth. God, God had gotten to a point, made a decision. You know what, this, this is just, they have gone so far that, that it's, I can't reach them. But there's a man that I can reach. There's a family I can reach. There's somebody in there, and I'm willing to put everything else off. It's as if Jesus said, as Jesus said in the New Testament, he left the 90 and 9 to go for the one. He, he went to great lengths, amen, near the cliff, risking his own life to save just one. Just one family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going somewhere. Just bear with me for just a few more moments this morning. Amen. Just like the ark lifted Noah and his family out of the waters of judgment upon this earth where destruction and evil lives were snuffed out, the Spirit of God will lift you out of the waters of baptism where your old and sinful life will be snuffed out. And a new and godly life. That's what happened when when Noah walked off of the ark. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, a time for a, a huge funeral. But what it was time for was a, an offering unto God. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for preserving what is good. Thank you for restoring to me good. Hallelujah. In order to achieve goodness. We must repent. There must be a change. Now, let me understand. The word repentance has been used a lot in the context of church. And, and, and we often use it. And we don't, I don't think we, we really think about the word. And what we mean by it. What do we mean when we say repent? What does that mean? Does it mean say a prayer? Does it mean just, just feel bad for what you've done wrong? Well, in the case of Noah, 
and humanity in the story we just talked about. It was a, it was a catastrophic change. It was a destructive change. It took down structures and, and, and organization that humanity had established. They had decided this is the best way to do things. This is how we're going to run things. This is, we're going to, we're going to, perhaps they called days a different term. Maybe it wasn't Monday through Sunday, but maybe it was something altogether. I don't know how they had set things up, but all of that was wiped off. And God said, you know what? I repent. I'm going to, if they're not going to repent, I'm going to repent for them. I'm going to bring about the change that I'm looking for. Now listen, I, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that the Lord had made any mistake, but it was that God had, had to, it was, it was required for the Lord to make a change because we wouldn't. Because we, we didn't. We, for whatever reason, for whatever purpose in our life, uh, we didn't. In this case, it was the humanity, but I'm trying to draw an application uh, to those of us that are in this room this morning. Amen. Don't get to a place uh, where God's, uh, God is required uh, to do the repenting for you. Amen. Don't get to a place uh, where you have ignored all of the, the messages and the words from God and, and God has reached and, and drawn and, and tried to help you. Hallelujah. There needs to be repentance in order to achieve that goodness, that, that, that return to a good state. Many times the Bible talks about how the Lord repents. I want to focus on this just for a moment. In fact, Jeremiah, it's clear that this is a seemingly regular occurrence with the Lord regarding his people. Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 6 and it surprised me the number of times that I read that the Lord repented throughout scripture. I don't have time to dwell on this very long here this morning but I want you to see how the Lord spoke through the prophet in Jeremiah 15 6 thou hast forsaken me saith the Lord thou art gone backward therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. I've done this so much I'm getting tired of it. I, I, I've had to change things for you so much, be, and I'm getting tired of it. And notice, I want you to notice, and this is a pattern I also picked up on, but again, we don't have the time to go through it. I would bore you to, to tears this morning. Amen. But, but it, it's important that you see that I will stretch forth my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. When the Lord comes to the point of repenting himself, he will bring about the change that he's looking for. He will bring about a change, uh, a, a, and, it, and it's going to come at great cost. It was as if this is an instinctive response of the Lord each time people, particularly His chosen people, are errant and disregard His direction. We can get to a place in our walk with God where God Himself will repent the, the, the concept here in this passage is not that God would change, but the, based on the context, being God doing the repenting. It means that, that he would rue or suffer grief. I, 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 I rue what is going on. I, I, I am grieved with, with, the, with the 
with the activity here. And I'm not going to sustain this feeling. I'm not going to put up with this. It's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he doesn't love you. Please hear me this morning. But it is because he can't deal. He can't, he can't put up with the grief that it brings. I submit to you that it's possible that we can get to a place that if we don't repent, that God will have to change his plans for our lives. That ought to bring fear into the heart of every human in this room. The Bible tells us that his plans are good. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. Notice this, not of evil. So if they're not of evil, what are they? If God's thoughts towards us, his plans for us are not of evil, could it be that they are good? Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Paul said that, and we know in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So if God is required to change those good plans, If God is required to change the plans, the thoughts that he has, not of evil, uh, those things that work together for good, then what, what are we forcing God to do? Think about that. But if we live a, repenting, a repentant life, all things work together for good. God's plans are not evil for us. They're the kind of plans that we should want in our life. I don't want God to have to come up with a plan B or a plan C or a plan D for Jared Hilton. I want to do everything in my power to, as, as the apostles said, to, to work out my own salvation. I want to do everything that I can, God. Is my life in alignment with your plan for my life? Or am I doing something that will cause you to have to change your plan for my life? Am I changing or are you changing? Now I know the Bible teaches that God is immutable. I know that the Bible teaches that he, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So please don't misunderstand. That's who God is. God, God's being God who he is is unchangeable but his plan necessarily has to change if we don't get in alignment with it hallelujah Matthew chapter 21 verse 44 whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder Are you willing to fall on the plans of God and, and break your agenda, break your plans up to allow Him to have His way? Or are you going to force God to grind your plans, grind your life to powder? If, if you do it willingly, it's going to be so much easier. But if we continue in the way that we are just like the story of Noah, just like, uh, amen, in the story of, of humanity who's fallen over and over and over and got to this place of continual evil, 
God will come in and he'll destroy. Why? So he can reproduce that state of goodness again. That he can bring back that good conscience. You have to get to the point where nothing in your life is more important than God's plan for your life. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost working on somebody this morning. Amen. And if it's just me, then that's okay. I want him to change me. God's given us a conscience that serves a specific purpose. Those who have sinned without knowing the law, the Bible tells us that they will also die without knowing the law. Those who have sinned knowing the law, they shall be judged by the law. Romans chapter 2 verse 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without it, without the law. As many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God. Just because you heard it doesn't mean, doesn't make it right. But the doers of the law shall be justified. You've got to obey what you read in the word of God. Hallelujah. When the Lord lays out his plan for you, you've got to adhere. You've got to align. That's what made Noah righteous among a generation of wickedness. When the Lord spoke to him, he said, yes, change me. You want an ark? I'll build it. How big? How long? How wide? How tall? I'm going to do exactly as you tell me, God. Amen. And that was Noah's own salvation. That in a water of judgment, when the rains begin to fall, and the very water that destroyed humanity is the very water that saved Noah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law, which be justified, shall be justified. For the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things con- contained in the law. These have not the law, are a law unto themselves. Wow. That's interesting. It almost sounds like the Lord built into us this thing for those who, don't, who are not acquainted with the law. How many feel bad when you steal a piece of candy? When, you, when you're at work and somebody left their lunch there and it's looking pretty good. They left a, a Coke. <laughs> and then you take the drink and then Something starts working on you. you say, All right, well, I gotta, I'm going to write a note. I'm going to put a $5 bill in there, and I'll put it back in the fridge so they know that I'm sorry. What is that? Did somebody tell you that was wrong? Or did you just know? This is what Paul is talking about. He's trying to reach a new generation of Christians who were not Jews, who didn't know anything about the law. They weren't acquainted with the scripture. But they said, you know when you've done wrong. You know that feeling that you feel. That's God, that's the conscious, conscience that is there. He says in verse 15, would show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience 
also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Verse 16 of the day, when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God, I, I feel like Paul is telling the Romans that, hey, there's no excuse for anybody. Everybody is subject to the law of God. It's either written on the pages of God's word or it's written in your heart. And you know, you know when you violated that perfect law. You know when you violated and gone against God's plan in your life. And Paul is saying, don't suppress that conscience. Don't go against. It's there for a reason. Can you, can you, live, can you live according with the According to that conscience, with a pureness and, and perfection and in, in, in obedience to that conscience? Is that possible? Well, according to Paul, it is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he's admonishing Timothy. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of the faith unfeigned. 1 Timothy 3, verse 9, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. It's clearly possible to have a good conscience at one time and then put it away. We've already talked about it in the story of Noah. But let's read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Holding the faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Paul exhibited his, this kind of conscience, not putting it away, but, but maintaining it. Before Felix, in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I don't ever give myself a break. I have to always... I, to have always a conscience. There's never a time... I know this is, this is, probably should be, I should be teaching this lesson, Sister Reagan, downstairs in Sunday school. <laughs> hey, what Paul is telling us is that it is possible to maintain that conscience, void of offense toward God and toward men. And again, in another passage in Acts 23, just the chapter before, verse 1, Paul earnestly beholding the council, standing in front of the Sanhedrin. The holiest of the holies. The, the, the Jews with, with whom he worked previously. I don't know all the dynamics that were going on there. But Paul stood before them. And Bible says, earnestly beholding the council. Said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I, I have lived, I have done everything I can to protect this good conscience that God has given me. Hallelujah. How can you have such a clear conscience, Paul? You've killed many. You've spilled the blood of many. Paul was not a good dude. He was zealous about the way uh, his his uh, the way that he used to be, and and we can read. All of that, I'm not going to take the time, but, but you can go study it for yourself. Read Acts chapter 8. See all of the, the devastation and, and evil that Paul committed or saw at the time. 
But Paul, who had committed all of these things, had done all of these things, could stand before the Sanhedrin council or stand before Felix and say, I have a good conscience. How? How do you do that, Paul? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto the prayer, their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? How can they harm you? What can they say about you if you're following that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers. They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. It does When you have this conscience that I'm talking about. If you have gone to the lengths that of, of repenting that, that I've talked about, where, where you know that everything in your life is aligned with God's plan, that you've done, you've done your dead level best, that God, I want to please you. I want to live for you. I'm sorry about who I used to be. I don't want to be that way. Then you, my friend, can stand before councils and judges as well. You can stand before multitudes and crowds and with their cynical and scoffing view stand confidently and know, amen, without shame that I have a good conscience. Hallelujah. Verse 17 of the same passage says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Are you saying, Brother Hilton, that life is going to be a bed of roses? Nope. I'm not. Life will, this, this will not solve your financial problems necessarily. This will not solve your, your even potentially your health situations all the time. But if you do suffer, make sure you're suffering for doing well and doing good. Don't suffer because of your evil ways. Don't let the suffering be suffering given to you by God. Don't let the destruction that comes to your life be because of God, but be, let it be a voluntary change. God, I want to be new. God, I want to be right. I want my life to be good. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11. If the, for if the blood of the bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkle, sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. If, those, if the blood of those animals can sanctify and purify our flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ how much more that pure blood. Hallelujah. I love him too much to fail him now. I promised him 
that I would make it somehow. He's gone so far, my friend. He's done too much for me. For me to lay aside all of the expense that he has gone to. All of the things that he has paid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 8. Sister Tori, you can come. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians and he stated, I know my message to you was a strong one. I know that I I didn't hold back. I I pointed out all of your flaws. I pointed out all of your errors. He said in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 8, for though I made your you sorry with a letter. He goes, I do not repent. Why? Though I did repent, for I, and though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. I'm not enjoying the fact that that I've brought tears to your eyes. Not enjoying the fact that I've caused you pain as you consider your life. Not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly, godly manner. That ye might receive damage by us in nothing. What did he mean? He goes on to say, verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And behold this self same thing that ye sorrowed after a God, that godly sorrow. This thing, this godly sorrow that works repentance in your life. What carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. (laughs) I don't know how that made the Corinthians feel when they read those letters. When their apostle wrote them in the first letter, I'm sure they were heartbroken. I'm sure the mood, the attitude, the, the was somber. But then Paul said, I'm not doing this just to make you feel bad. I don't want you just to go home and kick the can around. I did it again. I, I messed up again. That's not, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was so that they would find godly sorrow. Not, I'm sorry I got caught. Not the feeling that, oh man, pastor's on me again. Not the feeling that, that oh man, I, they, they caught me and I didn't mean for them to catch me. And, and so I'm sorry because I was caught. But it's a godly sorrow that says, you know what? If I don't change this, 
If I don't, if I don't rearrange what is causing me to make these decisions, if I don't change the things in my life that, that brings about these kind of messages, that I'm going to destroy my life. And, and you know it as well as I do. I don't have to tell you. You know. Destruction, poverty, pain, hopelessness, depression. These are all the result of a sin-stricken life. You, 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 can't, you can't get away with it. I, I know that there's also some that, you know, I think it was, forget which one it was, but there was uh, an author in the Psalms that said, when I looked at the wicked, I saw how successful they were. At, I feel it almost. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, but I do feel like I'm appealing to somebody here this morning, and I, I hope that you're hearing me. I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to qualify everything I'm saying. You don't want God to measure His hand in destruction against you. You don't want God to bring that devastation or that change. You know what you want? Allow that godly sorrow to work repentance. If you can do it through the power of the Holy Ghost, if you can repent, say, God, I see it. I know it. The man was preaching to me this morning. God, I want to change this. I want to change who I am. My friend, you can walk through those doors this afternoon with a good conscience. You can walk through those doors this afternoon with the clarity that you haven't had for years. You can, you can remind yourself this morning, if we could all stand, of the purity, the innocence that once reigned in your life. That good feeling, that simplicity of just pleasing God. God, I want to please you. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, I want you to be happy. I'm sick of finding the next thing that makes me feel better. I'm sick of looking for the, the, the next thing that makes me feel happy. I want you to be happy. God, if you have to, God, create that goodness in me all over again. Destroy everything in me that's evil. Take away all of the wickedness. Hallelujah. These altars are open this morning. I want to invite you to find a place and restore that good conscience. God, I need you, Jesus. What clearing of yourself. What carefulness it will bring. Hallelujah. 
Oh, Jesus, we love you, Savior. We love you, Savior. We love you, Savior.